Let's get romantic tonight with the Tales of Belkin, one of the five earliest forms of prose in Russian literature, the snowstorm, starting the concept of blizzards representing fate in Russian literature. Let's talk about romanticism and fates in today's talk on the blizzard, also translated as the snowstorm by Alexander Pushkin. Cold as ice gonna sacrifice <clears throat> welcome to the codex cantina where i am una and i am cold crypto <laughs> chilly here in florida and if you are new to the codex cantina we take a conversational to discussing and understanding the literature that we read if you're down for that make sure you hit that subscribe button to join us on the journey and as always we start off the publication information the blizzard was completed on october 20th 1830 our version was translated by paul nebreski and we'll leave a link down in the description below where you can read it for free at gutenberg.org and as we kick this off i have to apologize to you crypto we usually have a pre-planning session where we discuss what we're going to talk about. And he talked in the pre-planning session about how this was kind of Romeo and Juliet. And I was like, eh, I don't know. But the more I thought about in terms of the, the families forbidding the love about them going off and trying to get married separately, I feel like I may have been I, a I little you bit over. Too, <laughs> I, I may have been a little bit too dismissive in that idea that I do give. I do think there's more elements of romanticism here and maybe I just didn't want to think too much about the Romeo and Julia aspect, but it is there the more I think about it. Love prevails. <laughs> well, what's unique about this story is actually not the characters. <laughs> well, 100% agree. The characters are super boring. This is all plot driven. It's interesting where he spends more time describing the damn blizzard and elements in the story than he does the characters. He's He's glorifying nature which is an element of romanticism in this but he's also kind of attacking it too which is kind of strange to me yeah and as we get into it i think that there's probably some uniqueness of the importance of the blizzard beyond maybe just the typical russian idea of fate and it's worth noting okay so if, if you're considering reading the story you need to have a heavy suspension of disbelief you just have to just let go that the idea of marriage just kind of happens <laughs> You got to kind of step out from the idea of, oh, this is so cliche. Like, it's like saying Casablanca is cliche, right? Like when Casablanca is one of the first ones to do a lot of these romance tropes. This is an earlier rendition, I'm not going to say the first, of where you thought one thing was happening, but then you learn and it flips your opinion on a character. It's it's the Hollywood story that is done over and over and over in modern times, and you have to just step out of your fancy modern shoes and just recognize that this is one of the earlier renditions of it. Yeah, 100% agree. Otherwise, you're going to get to the end and be like, well, well, yeah, duh, and you're not going to have as much enjoyment, I think, out of it and maybe get as much analytically out of it as well. All right, so for plot, like we said, there's a ton here. I'm going to try to boil this down. The young and beautiful Maria Gavrilovna and a poor French soldier, Vladimir, have fallen deeply in love with each other. However, Maria's parents forbade their relationship. They concocted a plan to escape after dinner to a nearby village to show their parents how they were wrong and are in love. Now, Vladimir headed to Zadrino to secure the priest and witnesses for them to be married. Vladimir, however, Vladimir became lost and stumbled upon a small hamlet where a young peasant led him as a guide to Zadrino. By morning they arrived, but the priest's carriage was nowhere to be found. Late to the wedding, dun, right? Dun, dun. <laughs> Meanwhile, now my translation, it would flip between Masha and Maria. I've seen other translations of her name. I'm 
I'm going to go with Masha for now. Masha slept in, but uh, became ill for two weeks. The parents decided to send for Vladimir and consent to the marriage, given how much they were deeply in love. However, it was 1812, and Vladimir has returned to the army where he dies in battle. Dang you, Napoleon. Tragedy befell the family further as the father soon dies, in typical Russian story fashion, right? So Masha and the mother move towns, and here she catches the eye of every man in town, it seems. But eventually, a wounded soldier, Berman, returns home victorious from the war to an estate near Masha. And after many months of no contact, Berman finally comes calling to her house. He told her he had been married for four years, but didn't know his wife. He told her how he was drawn to leave during a snowstorm. He wound up at a church and was married to some poor, sickly woman who was barely strong enough, too weak to even stand. And at the end, she exclaimed, he was the wrong man. He left not knowing her name or the village, but is nonetheless married to her. (laughs) And that's when Masha does the twist. Uh, You don't recognize me? (laughs) Yeah, nowadays we we just think, oh my gosh, this is so typical of, you know, trying to do the old uh, twist on me. You know, oh, this is M. Night Shyamalan at his worst or best or whatever. But you have to remember this story is nearly 200 years old. So this is one of the first ideas of that flip. So back then in 1830, this would have been like, what? It would have blown someone's mind. Right. And it's worth noting, if you did have questions, the blizzard that separated Vladimir and Masha was also the blizzard that pushed together Berman and Masha as well to get married. So we're going to have to talk about some fate, some concepts of naturalism and romanticism in this. Uh, I think I think we're going to have some fun for this one. Yeah, I think the little flip-flop of the story is something that we can uh, play around with too and the idea of what is fate, does it matter, and this idea of what does this relationship mean between these people when they don't know they have one. So to me, in traditional romanticism, it's hard to define what that is, right? Romanticism is a very elusive term. But instead of developing the characters, like you said, this is almost 100% plot, this story. He spends so much time developing the dang snowstorm. <laughs> I think there's a point to like. that, though. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a point to that, though. Well, to me, I think Pushkin is pushing us towards the concept with Masha, who had been brought up on French novels and consequently was in love. And romanticism was a big thing at the time of which Pushkin was involved in and a critic of trying to push kind of romantic tragedy in Russia. It's kind of interesting when when I've even heard, okay, so what is romanticism? I've heard it described as like, it's the stars that weep and the wind that cries. Like, like really poetically, it's like, oh, okay. oh, you get a little Shakespeare on me here. <laughs> it's like using the same word to define itself. Romanticism is more about kind of emotions, kind of about nature. It's what it is, is it's a reaction to the highly structured neoclassism literary movement that happened before. Same thing with music. Music is typically reactions to the previous generation's music to create something new. And that's what romanticism was doing, was moving away from the confined structure elements that we used to have. Yeah, but Uno, what Russia does and has always done since the 19th century is they take these literary movements and they apply them to their social critiques and they apply them to their political movements and they apply them to all the aspects of that idea of the Russian culture. Yes, but the key, like you said, is since the 19th century. Before that, what did Russia have? It was a lot more poetry. The idea is that the literary movement in Russia was in its infancy. 
you had movements from Europe happening for, for many, many years. And in Russia, it was just going to be crushed if it wasn't embraced and actually pushed. Because before Russia had uh, this literary movement, it had critiques, it had criticism, it had political and philosophy movements before it even had literature. Like usually it was literature came first, then came the critiques and the satire and that stuff. Russia started with the critiques and the criticism and then developed literary movements after that, oddly enough. You don't you don't criticize Russia. Russia criticize you. <laughs> right? It is basically what happens. Well, interestingly enough, Pushkin was a critic on top of a writer too, right? So from a letter from 1830, yeah. French critics have their own concept of romanticism. They have related to it all works which bear the stamp of melancholy or dreaminess. So let's go back to this line that Pushkin put in his actual story, right? So he's battling this French movement. He's worried about, you know, Lord, you know, the Byronic hero and, and Lord Byron and his romantic movements sweeping across Europe, right? And he's trying to develop this literary movement in Russia. And we have this quote, had been brought up on French novels and consequently was in love. It's a very flippant thing just to drop on one of your main characters in this story. And I feel like Russia, developing criticism first, injects these movements and ideas that I feel like, although he's a part of romanticism, he's almost attacking part of it too because he's trying to push this, this romantic tragedy on Russia. Yeah, and I think that kind of brings us back to why he can't have the character development is he's not trying to make a point of one individual. He's trying to attack or critique Russia or the French as a whole and their writing styles, and that's why mm. it's more plot-driven than anything else. He's attacking a movement, not a character yeah. or a person. That's a great point. So we have a lot of opposites in Pushkin in general, and we have it in the story. We have the snowstorm, which is very natural and a fantastical element to it, and that seems to directly oppose the idealized or romantic love created from these two characters. Yeah, and I think that the blizzard itself kind of represents this divide between the two characters, or maybe even the divide between uh, Russian romanticism and not having romanticism in Russia. Well, it's kind of like... We overuse in our stories, I feel like, communication. Like, if communication doesn't happen, then love doesn't happen, right? And it's once communication is cleared up, we're like, oh, we're in love. And the Byronic hero, of course, was very chasing women, objectifying them, that sort of thing. And Pushkin here, he doesn't make the male the driving force or the female the receiving force. He's actually a lot more open. But what separates them isn't communication, but these natural elements of blizzards. I kind of get the feeling that what he's saying in this piece is that you can idealize or make plans or have this romantic ideal of love. But in the end of the day, there are forces that you can't control that can separate you from what your your vision's long for yeah but i think also too that he's kind of saying that maybe nature knows better than you know and you think you love this person but he secretly substituted for someone else and you know no different it is kind of like that idea you eat enough chocolate and you're going to get the sensation of feeling like you're in love <laughs> well, let's, let's look at a couple of key quotes here right the opening section during the courting section between vladimir and masha we have the winter set in and put a stop to the young couple's meeting. So this is going back to what we were talking about earlier. 
winter set in and put a stop to the young couple's meeting, right? Nature is stopping them from getting together, stopping this young love. The night that they were to abscond together, the blizzard was not letting up. The wind met Masha head on as if trying to stop the young malefactress. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I couldn't help but laugh at this because not only does the blizzard attempt to stop them, but we call Masha, I'm calling her Masha Maria, I don't know how you translate her name, as a criminal. (laughs) A criminal of what? Of, Of this idealized view of what she wants or the fact that she's disobeying her parents. That's a very specific word choice. Yeah. It's kind of disheartening that he, he takes this character and it's the only one that has a little tiny bit of development. And he's just kind of like bashing her down with the world saying, Nope, this is what you want. The world's going to knock you down lady. And you're not going to get it. Well, he's making fun of romanticism and this idealized view with emotions, but he's using romanticism with nature to mock it and say that there's a naturalistic structured neoclassism view to it. It's insane that what he's doing here, it's... You you know what I think Pushkin is doing? He's saying that all of the other writers that try to use romanticism are morons. And I'm going to show you how you really use romanticism in a story. And he's so good, he can show them how they're doing it wrong by using it with a character and how you can use it right by using it with nature. I think that's what he's done. And it's brilliant, right? Well, and it's one character. This one blizzard is what stopped <laughs> what stopped the malefactress. For for Vladimir, the, with the quote, Bo, but no sooner had he left the village behind and entered the fields than the wind rise and such a blizzard developed that he could not see anything. So again, it's the same blizzard stopping him. And if you remember with Berman, he's just like, I felt compelled to go out into the exact same blizzard. So this one character is is playing a Ouija board with all of these characters. <laughs> yeah, it's it's masterfully done. Uh, it, it's, it really is a, a great story for how he is able to manipulate one character so influential on all the other actual people in the story. If we give the blizzard almost this sentient idea of being a character in the story, which I I think it is. I think we've proven that it is. And I think if we were to give the blizzard a name, his or her name would be fate, right? We have the quote from her mother could make out only that Masha was fatally in love with Vladimir and that her love was probably the cause of her illness. So here, very romantic, you know, romantic tragedy here. But he is calling, he is very specifically calling this fate. The blizzard is fate to push and pull apart these young loves. And even in the end, the way that they meet, right? Like they've been married. What are the chances that you would ever see this person again for her to have her, her romantic vision of Vladimir dies? And then we have the practical Berman come miraculously live kind of near her village after she moves, after her father dies, and miraculously she recognizes him to get back together again. It's a strange blend that I feel like adds to the fire about how Pushkin loves to pit two ideas or movements against each other. Yeah, I, I, two things real quick. I think that 
maybe this happened in some way because, you know, the world is a very small place and suddenly you're at some random bar in some state and you're like, wait a minute, I know you, you're like my third cousin or you dated so-and-so. The world is a very small place. And I think that I've had that happen to me in real life. I think that happened to Pushkin and he's kind of throwing it in there uh, maybe as an afterthought. But also I think that, do you think Pushkin believes in love? Because like, Love doesn't triumph here, right? Practicality does. So I wonder if he actually believes in love because we know a lot about his personal life and I, I don't know if he does. <laughs> his first marriage didn't go so well. I'll yeah, say that right. he, he married a person that he probably shouldn't have, got a, a stepson out of it, I believe it was. But then his second marriage worked out a little bit better. Now, with that said, in terms of the two opposing ideas, I want to go back to the story here real quick. We have these quotes like the sky merged with the earth and marriages were made in heaven that poverty was no shame, that you have to live with the man, not his money and so forth. You <laughs> okay, Pushkin, like, like really dropping these like dramatic comments like this. But then he makes fun of himself almost when he has this quote, moral maxims are surprisingly useful on occasions when we can invent little else to justify our actions. <laughs> It's like you have a person that is super emotional and is almost like bipolar having a conversation with themselves in the mirror while talking to a robot. It's that variety of conversations or feelings that are happening here that are so stale and then so romantic or so like emotional. It really is. And and the whole time I'm reading this story, I'm kind of like, where are we going with this exactly? <laughs> you feel pulled all over the place, right? Yeah. Like one minute you feel like you're in this, you know, re like you're in the the a drill sergeant, and the next you feel like that you have the love of your life reading you poetry, feeding you strawberries, and you're like, wait, what? And it changes from sentence to sentence. Well, and for you, it's the literary writer of your life. This is this is one of your favorite writers of all time, Pushkin, playing with your emotions through this piece. And it's really unfortunate that it's become cliche, but this is just such a classic story that it's hard to take away all of the iterations and intertextual modern conversations that we have that lead back to this in some way. Or I'm not saying it's the first one to do it, but a lot of elements of this have probably seeped into the general consciousness of things that we have read and, and, and see nowadays. Well, I think that just goes to show of why those stories by Shakespeare and why Pushkin and some of these, you know, literary greats, why people in Hollywood and modern day authors and writers, they take and steal all this stuff because it's the best. <laughs> well, I guess I know how you feel about it. <laughs> and this is my least favorite Pushkin story. <laughs> well, when we have these conversations, I know some people want to help us out, but they're not sure what to say. Please feel free to leave like a snowflake or something down below. Just a heart emoji. Yeah, heart <laughs> emoji. Something to help our video out. We'd appreciate that. We'll put a Pushkin playlist down below where you can hear us gush over how much we love Pushkin. Crypto, let's move into our subjective ratings, which it sounds like this is one of your least favorite Pushkin stories. Look, hit me with your feelings. I want to know how you feel about this. This is a safe place. I do not have feelings. I am Pushkin. <laughs> <laughs> no, no romantic here. Uh, no, I'm, I'm my wife would tell you that I'm a romantic at heart. Uh, I think this is my least favorite Pushkin because I feel like he was all over the place. He wanted to get something accomplished. And I'm not sure exactly what that was. So he didn't portray his feelings well enough. Uh, I think of what his goal of this story was. 
he makes a very great love story, I feel like, with that nice twist at the end. I did enjoy that because um, I did have to, you know, take myself, although I've seen this story 15 times. But analytically, I struggled uh, communication or the fate in Blizzard. Why is it so plot driven and not character driven? Mm-hmm. It's a tough story to digest. Um, so I think I'm going to give this my lowest rating ever of a Pushkin. I'm going to give it a seven, which is a flow <laughs> for a Pushkin for me. Because he's probably my second or third favorite short story author ever. And it's worth, we touched on it earlier, but it's worth reiterating that this is one of the most influential stories, not just because of plot, but because of the idea of a snowstorm or blizzard, nature representing fate, the idea how it can drive and pull people together. This was one of the earliest stories to do that, from what I've seen of of attribution of how Russia views these things, right? We've got some more stories. I wanted to do Tolstoy's, uh, a similar story from him as well, but we got to start in the first one here, right? So I'm going to give this one an 8.5. I enjoyed the story. I think it's really good. Highly recommended. If you are down for literature discussions like this, hit that subscribe button. What are you doing? Join us on this journey, right? We post videos every Monday and Thursday. We'd love to have you along for more discussions on great pieces of literature like this. Una out. Peace.